podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two footed podcast on Monday, the 27th of February. The month of February is almost over. How are we almost about to enter the third month of the year? This year is going ridiculously quickly. A good thing if you're a fan of a team that is underperforming this season, the season is rapidly reaching its end. Uh, we begin today's show where we have to begin today's show, and that is with the big cup final that was played yesterday, where a giant of a club took on a plucky underdog and was triumphant. I am, of course, talking about Celtic 2, Rangers 1 in the Scottish League Cup final. <clears throat> Kyogo Furuhashi with two goals 
to put Ange Postacoglu's mighty selts on the road to victory. Alfredo Morales got one back. Rangers huffed and puffed and maybe threatened to get themselves back into the game. But all things considered, Ange's mighty men were were very, very comfortable. Uh, Two good finishes from Kyogo. Both very well-made goals. Typical Ange goals. Celtic continue this wonderful era of Ange Postacoglu, who is, I would say, undoubtedly the best manager I have seen at Celtic in my lifetime. The success is one thing. The style of football is by far and away the best we've seen. That is now back-to-back Scottish League Cups for Ange. Also won the Premiership last year and Celtic are sailing towards another Scottish Premiership title this year, currently sitting nine points clear of Rangers. I believe there's eight games to go. Is it nine games to go? Ten games to go? It's ten games to go. There's 36 games in a Scottish season. Ten games to go, nine points clear. Celtic will be back-to-back champions, and they are... Still in the mix for the Scottish Cup, which a treble would be a thing of beauty. A treble would be a wonderful thing. That's the quarterfinal stage where they'll play hearts. It's a really good time to have Celtic in your life. And for me, it's a very beneficial time to have Celtic because Liverpool routinely let me down, but Celtic never do, nor do the Irish rugby team, and yes, this is a football podcast, but we're going to just quickly talk about Ireland beating Italy. Not the best performance, but another strong win for the men in green, marching towards a potential Grand Slam. And, of course, world number one, the first time that's ever happened. And since gaining that number one ranking, they seem to have gone from strength to strength. Given the number of players missing at the weekend, a great victory for Ireland in other Six Nations action. England beat a very sorry Wales team and France beat Scotland. Uh, Credit to the Italians, the improvement in them in the last 18 months has been incredible. Absolutely immeasurable improvement. So they're going to be a real problem in years to come. A lot of good young players in that squad. We move on then to the EFL Cup final, Manchester United 2, Newcastle 0. Casemiro with a header on 33 minutes. Marcus Rashford given credit for a goal that really should be an own goal on 39 minutes. His shot come cross, come whatever it was, was going wide. It hits Botman and loops over the goalkeeper. I've seen some people, including uh, BBC's Match of the Day Twitter account, uh, attempt to blame Laurie's Carrius Four said goal, shitheads, is all I can think to say. Shitheads. Carrius played very well in this game. United had 10 shots on target. Uh, This was not a shot on target. This was going wide and was deflected. And he made some really, really good saves in this game from Veghorst, from Rashford, and from Bruno Fernandes late in the game to keep Newcastle in the game. Now, Newcastle had more of the ball, they had more shots in the game, but they were so rushed, it did seem like the occasion got to them. Uh, Bruno Gomerich, despite being on the losing side, was the best player on the pitch. It's just a shame for Newcastle that they didn't show up to the same level that they've played in the Premier League this season. But credit to United, 
Uh, Ollie Ball in full effect there under Eric Ten Hag. No shame in it. It's brought them some silverware. But I will just remind United fans, this is the same cup you deemed Mickey Mouse last season and in the previous seasons when you didn't win it. So perhaps a little bit of settling down and remembering that Jose Mourinho also won this in his first season in charge. So doesn't really mean a whole lot in terms of long-term success. He also won the Europa League, which you're uh, well-placed to win this year. And again, it didn't lead to any real success. So just keep those things in mind. But congrats on your trophy. That's now 43 major trophies for Manchester United, uh, leaving them second behind Liverpool as the most successful team in English history. Uh, we'll move on then to Premier League action. We had eight games over the weekend. Uh, we started Friday night with Fulham 1, Wolves 1. Pablo Sarabia scored on 23 minutes. Having earlier missed a better chance, uh, he put them one up. Manor Solomon equalised on 64 minutes. A really nice finish. He is playing very, very well since returning from injury. You'd never know he'd missed half the season having had surgery. You just wouldn't know the way he's playing. A draw, absolutely a fair result there. I think both sides will be pretty happy with that outcome. Uh, For Fulham, that is 39 points. They are now safe from relegation, so uh, they'll be getting ready to hit the beach fairly soon. For Wolves, they're still very much in that relegation mix. 24 points sitting in 15th position, but I still think they'll have enough quality to see themselves out of that. Newcastle versus Brighton was obviously postponed. Everton nil, Aston Villa 2. This was a surprisingly good game. Everton had some decent opportunities. Villa made Jordan Pickford work a couple of times. One great save from a Watkins header. But Watkins himself made it 1-0 from the penalty spot on 63 minutes after John McGinn was fouled by Idrissa Ganagay. I thought Idrissa Ganagay got the ball. And I thought the replay showed that he got a toe to the ball before he made contact with McGinn. But the penalty was given. Watkins stepped up and scored. And then Emi Buendia wrapped up the points on 81 minutes. Really nice shift of the ball from right to left. Sold two defenders. And it's a great finish from a narrow angle. Um, loads of power, loads of venom in the shot and Villa get a win. Villa's away form under Unai Emery being significantly better than the home form was not something I had on my bingo card for this year. That moves Villa to level on points with Chelsea. They're still in 11th, but level on points with Chelsea just behind them on goal difference. And for Everton, it drops them back into the bottom three. Uh, disappointing for Everton. They need to be winning these home games if they want to have a chance of staying up. Everton, of course, have Arsenal away on Wednesday night and Arsenal will be looking for retribution after Everton beat them uh, at Goodison recently. Moving on, Leicester City nil, Arsenal won. Um, This was a mixture of things. Arsenal were very good in the game. Leicester were absolutely abysmal. Leicester had one shot in the entire game and it was a pot shot by Dewsbury Hall from about 25 yards. Uh, They accumulated the lowest XG since XG started to be collected 
in the Premier League. That is that is absolutely appalling for a home game. Now, Arsenal scored in the first half. Leandro Trossard with a wonderful finish from the edge of the box, but it was disallowed. Uh, it was disallowed on the basis that Ben White was doing a very silly thing and grabbing the arm of Danny Ward. How he thought he was going to get away with it, I don't know, but it was rightly ruled out. I thought Arsenal should have had a penalty in the first half. I, I think there's no question. Harry Souter bundles Bikayo Saka over in the penalty area. That should have been a penalty. Gabriel Martinelli opened the scoring in the first minute of the second half. Nice work by Trossard to send him through, and it's a great finish to make it 1-0. Arsenal had another goal disallowed afterwards um, when Martinelli was adjudged to be just offside before feeding Saka, who tapped home. But all things considered, a comfortable enough day's work for Arsenal. A good performance and gets them, uh, keeps them on track to you know, maintain their title push. West Ham United 4, Nottingham Forest nil. West Ham were the better team throughout, but Forest were denied a very, very blatant penalty when the game was still nil-nil. Brennan Johnson was fouled in the penalty area by Ben Johnson. There's no question he kicks his leg out from underneath him. How it's not a penalty, I really don't know. Really poor from the officials there. And while... The final score makes it look like it wouldn't have mattered. It was nil-nil at the time. If Forrest go one up, it's a very different game. Uh, Danny Ings scored on 71 and 73. Declan Rice scored a very nice goal on 78. Good of Declan Rice to turn up and have his first game, good game in about four months. And Mikel Antonio wrapped up the route on 85 minutes from a close-range header. Uh, moves West Ham out of the bottom three. They are now 16th, two points behind Forrest in 13th, only four points behind Palace in 12th, which is why I don't think Palace are quite safe yet, though I do expect them to grind their way to enough points to stay up. Um, West Ham needed that win. They needed that win because they've just been dreadful of late. They've been dreadful all season. Uh, 13 defeats all season is unacceptable for a team with the ambitions that West Ham had and the amount of money they spent in the summer. Moyes really needs things to kick into gear quickly or he is not going to make the season. Um, Leeds United won, Southampton nil. Junior Firpo with the only goal of the game on 77 minutes. This is appalling defending by Jan Bednarek. It's worked in, it's poor in the right back channel. It's worked into the box. Lands at Firpo. Bednarak is a yard away, needs to make the challenge and just makes himself as small as possible. And a really weakly hit shot surprises Gavin Basuna, who's not expecting a weakly hit shot and kind of squirms by him. Great win for Leeds. They needed this win. It lifts them out of the bottom three. They're a point now ahead of Everton and Bournemouth. Southampton, unfortunately, lose some ground. They're now three points behind Everton and Bournemouth at four points from safety. Plus, they've got the second worst goal difference in the league. Third worst goal difference in the league, excuse me, behind Bournemouth and Forest. Southampton can't afford many more defeats. 
they can't afford to let that gap grow. That's basically a five-point gap to safety now. Which basically means they're going to have to win two more games than Leeds the rest of the way or whoever else. Which is concerning if you're Southampton. Uh, moving forward. Bournemouth 1, Manchester City 4. Uh, City comfortable, dominant, but scruffy at the same time. Um, Julian Alvarez opens the scoring after Haaland hits the crossbar, drops to out to uh, Alvarez, he taps home. Haaland makes it two on 29 minutes. Foden makes it three on 45 after one of the most brainless passes you'll ever see by Philip Billing. And Chris Metham's own goal on 51. Uh, Alvarez's shot, it was going wide, it hit, uh, hits Metham and goes in. Uh, Jefferson Lerma pulls one back for Bournemouth in the 83rd minute to put some sort of respectability on the scoreboard. But all things considered, City were very, very comfortable. That means move City to within two points of Arsenal, though Arsenal have a game in hand. Arsenal still have to go to the Etihad, which is shaping up to be a, a potential title decider now. Um, for Bournemouth, they stay. Or they drop to second from bottom. Yeah, they dropped a second from bottom because both West Ham and Leeds have jumped them and Everton. So your bottom three now are Southampton, 20th, Bournemouth, 19th, and Everton, 18th. And you'd probably get fairly good odds that that could be the bottom three come the end of the season. Even with Sean Dyche in charge, Everton just, they look like a team really lacking in confidence. And when they go behind, there doesn't seem to be any real fight in them. Uh, Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool nil, one of the more boring games of the season. Uh, no real point in getting into it. Palace at 12th of 27 points. Liverpool uh, sits 7th now on 36 points. Uh, three points behind Fulham. Do they do have a game in ha- Sorry, two games in hand on Fulham, but they're now five points behind Newcastle with the same number of games played, which is a little bit concerning for the Reds. And finally, yesterday... Tottenham 2, Chelsea 0. If anyone can explain what Kepa is doing for the first goal, I'd love to know. Uh, It's a really weak shot that he spills. It's hooked clear. It lands with with Ollie Skip, who hits it about as hard as he could possibly hit it. And it just seems to go through Kepa. Uh, A bad case of smoke hands in that regard. Uh, Harry Kane made it two on 82 minutes to give Spurs what was a well-deserved home win. Uh, bizarre moment in the first half. There was a bit of handbags between Richarlison and Hakim Ziyech. Um Emerson Real runs in, sort of bumps Ziyech. Ziyech turns around and slaps him. Kind of cuffs him in the face with the heel of his hand. A slap, a cuff, whatever you want to call it. And uh, gets a red card. VAR speaks to the referee, confirms their belief it's a red card. And then the referee goes and watches it on the monitor and decides it's not a red card. Very, very strange. Ah. And the thing is, because the referee's looked at it, I don't think he can now be retrospectively punished. He should have been sent off. That should be a three-game ban for violent conduct. If, If Casemiro got three games for putting his hand around somebody's neck, this should be three games. Now, Emerson Royale should be ashamed of himself for lying on the ground, rubbing his face 
you got a little bit of a cough. Your parents gave you much worse growing up. You didn't lie on the ground pretending that you'd been shot. Uh, but a great win for Spurs, a needed win for Spurs as well. Gives them a little bit of breathing room. They're four points clear of Newcastle, though Newcastle do have two games in hand. But you'd rather have the points on the board. It is just a funny thing that Spurs have lost eight games this season. Newcastle have lost two. But even if Newcastle won both their games in hand, they'd be two points clear because they've drawn so many games. 11 draws in the league. Them and Brentford have the most draws in the league. And again, Brentford, like Newcastle, only lost four times. Only Newcastle and Arsenal have lost less in the Premier League this season than Brentford. Anyway, good win for Spurs. Congrats to them. Bad bad defeat for Chelsea. And that's now, what, five in a row in the league without a win since they beat Crystal Palace. Uh, back-to-back defeats. They now have a negative goal difference. If Villa were to get a better result than them next time out, they will drop into the bottom half. They do play Leeds at home, which is a game that they should win, uh, while Villa have Crystal Palace at home. It's a game they'll expect to win. So this might go for another couple of weeks. After that, they get Leicester away, Everton home. Their games they should win. Chelsea need three wins from three in the next three. Uh, Palace, West Ham away, Bournemouth. Do you know, both teams could win the next three and that would set up April the 1st very nicely where the sides will meet at Stamford Bridge and perhaps on that day, Villa will jump Chelsea and go into the top half and condemn Chelsea to the bottom half of the league, where, in truth, they deserve to be based on how appalling they've been this season, given how much they've spent and the quality of players they have there. Uh, We'll take a break now. When we come back, we will laugh at Garth Crooks, uh, talk about a referee retiring, and we'll get into the gossip, and that will be us for the day. So I will see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. Before we laugh at Garrett Crooks, um, Phil McNulty, who you know probably should have retired years ago, has a piece on the BBC website uh, calling Eric Ten Hag a transformative manager. And I will give Ten Hag credit. He has transformed his own tactical approach from one that was very similar to Pep Guardiola into one very similar to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. And uh, while United have won some silverware, which they didn't didn't manage under Solskjaer, it is important to just remember how easy their path to said silverware has been. Um, it's not like they've knocked out a who's who of teams. They beat Aston Villa 4-2 shortly after losing to Villa in the league. Uh, then they beat championship side Burnley. They beat League One side Charlton and then they beat relegation threat Nottingham Forest twice and then Newcastle in the final. And with the greatest respect, Newcastle are having a good season, but they're not an elite team by any stretch. They're a team overperforming in a league that is in general underperforming. So transformative 
I think not. It's going to take a lot more from Ten Hag to show that he's a transformative manager. Yes, United are improved, and yes, it looks like they'll finish third in the league. Oli finished second. Mourinho finished second. Mourinho won the League Cup. He also won the Europa League. Neither of them were transformative managers. It's not like uh, Ten Hag took over a squad without talent. There was a lot of very good players at that club before he took over. He also spent an insane amount of money in the summer. He's not doing this on a shoestring. But at least he has transformed United fans from Norwich-dressed fans to Manchester United-dressed fans. So congrats to him on that. Gareth Crooks, team of the week. Um, Emmy Martinez is his goalkeeper. Emmy Martinez wasn't even the best keeper on display in that game. Pickford was better than him on the day, despite conceding two goals. Uh, he's picked Rico Lewis, who played in midfield in a back three. Uh, he's picked Romero because he watched the Spurs game. Romero did play very well. And he's picked Lissandro Martinez. Now, Varane was better on the day than Martinez, but I don't really have any complaints there. He's picked Foden because uh, he scored. He's picked Buendia because he scored. They're wingbacks in this mess. And he's picked Casemiro and Rice. Casemiro because he scored. Rice because he scored. While both of them played well, neither were anywhere close to being one of the two best midfielders on display in the English games this weekend. Uh, Then he's picked Trossard up front, rather strangely. Uh, He's picked Ings because he scored twice. And he's picked Alvarez because he scored and had one knocked in for an own goal. Um, This, as usual, is utter nonsense from a man who peddles nonsense on a weekly basis. And this is a laughable team. Genuinely laughable. He didn't watch a single game bar the Spurs game. That's what you can tell from... He might have watched some highlights, but he didn't watch a single game. Robbing a living, that man. Neil Swarbrick, the Premier League VAR chief, is to retire at the end of the season, which is very, very good news. Because under his watch, the VAR program has been an unmitigated disaster. Swarbrick follows Lee Mason in leaving the PGMOL, and this can only be uh, a good thing. This can only be a good thing. Get rid of these people. They're not good enough. There needs to be a full review of all referees and VARs. And I've said before, VARs should not be referees. VARs should not be former referees. The video assistant referees should be people hired and specifically trained to be VAR with no connection to the referees. Because it is that connection and that friendship, that respect for senior figures that causes continual mistakes and causes friction and causes moments where we see referees being told by VAR, I think you've got this wrong, and reacting quite badly to it. 
we have a, a very poor situation with referees. We'll come to that in a sec. But the VAR for me needs a total overhaul. And it needs people who are hired specifically, specifically and trained specifically to be VAR and nothing else and have no relationship with the actual referees group. None at all. They need to be completely separate entities so that they can be completely impartial. As for referees, we're seeing now more and more people coming into the league as referees at younger ages. And we're seeing them completely unable to handle Premier League footballers. Crystal Palace's players, without really doing much of anything, bullied Darren England on Saturday to the point where he was very, very scared of them for no reason at all. They weren't going to do anything to him. They were just remonstrating with him and he panicked and started flashing his cards around the place. We need to start recruiting referees from the pool of ex-players. And I don't mean players that played in the Premier League. I mean players who get released at 19, 20, 21. Now, we can recruit these players both as VAR and as actual referees and send them on two different career paths. But being a referee can be a good career. It can be a a career that pays quite well. And I think we see a lot of young players, they get released from a club, they never catch on anywhere, and they're out of the game at 22. And they go on to do whatever it is they do in life, and a lot of them end up very unhappy. And we've seen a few cases where it's ended quite tragically. I think that's the ideal group of players, the ideal group of people, rather, to be recruiting referees from. And the reason for that is, number one, they have a love of the game. Now, that love may get tarnished a little bit by getting released. However, they still have that natural love of the game. They also have an exceptional level of physical fitness, which, with respect, some of the current referees do not have. Thirdly, I think they'd have more more gravitas with the with the players. If the player knew this was a former player, I think they might respect them a little bit more, as opposed to you know the school teachers that tend to become referees. No disrespect to school teachers; it's just that young young men grow up with uh, a healthy or unhealthy dislike for a lot of school teachers because of how they handle themselves. And we know the type of people that tends to become a referee is somebody who's desperate for a little bit of power in their life. And they use that power to try and stamp authority they don't have on situations that they can't manage. Whereas I think with ex-players, I think they'd be far more understanding of current players. I also think they'd be far more understanding of game situation the problem with referees is that they know the rules they just don't know the game ex-players know the game and can learn the rules the same way referees do i think this is like we we often does we, we don't hear about it there, there are regularly trial matches played around the uk featuring players who are 19 20 21 22 who've been released from clubs and are looking for another opportunity and we see, you know, other clubs go and they scout these players. 
the referees union, the PGMOL, should be at those games recruiting players based on do they have game intelligence? Do they have a good level of fitness? Do they look like someone that has a bit of command about them? That's who we should be recruiting as referees, not the current gang of hall monitors. Simple as that, really. Um, but Neil Swarbrick going is a good thing. He was a he was a bad referee. He's been worse as the head of the VAR. Uh, three days of gossip to get into. Paris Saint-Germain and Argentina forward Lionel Messi is considering returning to his boy, boyhood club, Newell's Old Boys. I do believe he will finish his career there. I don't think it's likely to be anytime soon. I could see him going back to Barcelona for a year, getting the goodbye he deserves there, then going to America for a year or two, getting a Beckham-type deal where he gets paid way way below what he's worth, but that's in return for a reduced price on an MLS franchise, and then going back to Newell's for a season just, just because. Uh, Chelsea and Portugal forward João Felix wants to make his loan deal from Atletico Madrid permanent this summer. He signed a new deal at Atleti before going on loan. I don't know if I believe that. Arsenal have opened talks with William Saliba over a new contract, and rightly so. He's been very good this season. Al Nazir have made contact with Sergio Ramos's representatives over a potential move before next season. That's about the level he should be playing at. Inter Milan midfielder Nicolo Barella is on Liverpool's shortlist of summer targets, with the 26-year-old having been watched by Anfield scouts. Uh, Barella is a very, very good fit for Liverpool. The issue I would have is that I don't think Inter will ever sell him. Unless they're unless they're on the brink of bankruptcy, I think he's probably the last to go. Um, Liverpool are interested in Ryan Gravenberch to play alongside Jude Bellingham. My bet would be Gravenberch is seen as a very cheap alternative to Bellingham. Todd Bowley is considering buying League One side Strasbourg or League One side Strasbourg. Uh, that would be a bad thing for Strasbourg, I think. Liverpool, Newcastle, Tottenham and West Ham are among the Premier League clubs monitoring Mines and Germany midfielder Anton Stash. He's a good player. He's a good player. Uh, France forward Marcus Turam will be out of contract in the summer and has been offered to Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Inter Milan, Manchester United and PSG by his agents. Newcastle target Matthias Franca has signed a new contract with Flamengo who rejected the Magpies offer of 17.5 million. I would bet the new buyout clause in his contract is around 50 million. Uh, Fulham, Everton, Leicester and West Ham are interested in Chris Smalling. He's done very well at Roma. If I was him, I'd stay there. If I was him, I'd stay there. Newcastle are plotting a move for Max Kilman. Uh, I'll call BS on this one. Kilman's a left-footed, left-side centre-back. Newcastle have Sven Botman, who's been the best centre-back in the league this season. And I don't imagine Max Kilman's going to look to make a move to be a sub. Uh, I also don't imagine Newcastle would pay what will probably be 35, 40 million for a sub when they need a starting centre-back to go next to uh, Sven Botman. LA Galaxy have moved for Chelsea midfielder 
Andre Santos after his after proposed loan to Palmeiras collapsed. Brazil could bring in former Spain and Barcelona manager Luis Enrique to replace Tite rather than Carlo Ancelotti. The rumour was Ancelotti would go there at the end of this season. We'll wait and see if there's any truth in that. Um, Portuguese left-back Nuno Tavares says he will return to Arsenal at the end of the season when his loan spell at Marseille concludes. And he may end up staying there if Kieran Tierney forces his way out, which has been rumoured. Manchester City are keen to add Alexis McAllister to their squad in the summer. He would make a lot of sense as a replacement for Ilkay Gundogan if Gundogan doesn't renew his contract. Liverpool's pursuit of Jude Bellingham will not be harmed by their struggles this season as Champions League qualification is not a deal-breaker for him. Might be a deal-breaker for Liverpool's owners, though. Inter Milan would want between 70 and 75 million for Nicolo Barella. If they're setting a price, and I, I wouldn't believe this outlet, but if they're setting a price, they, maybe he will. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Croatian midfielder Marcelo Brozovic could be sold by Inter in the summer. I, I would believe that. Paris Saint-Germain could let at least one of Messi, Neymar and Mbappe leave the club in the summer as they look to reduce their wage bill. Neymar is the obvious one to let go. Where you find the new club from, I have no idea. Um, AC Milan and France striker Olivier Giroud is open to move back to the Premier League. With London sides West Ham, Fulham, Crystal Palace and Brentford, all potential destinations. Arsenal have joined Manchester United in the race to sign Celta Vigo and Spain under-21 midfielder Gabri Vega. I'd be a little bit surprised if he left Spain. I assumed he would end up going to one of the big three in Spain this summer. He's a very, very talented player. But my assumption was he'd go to one of the big three in Spain. Uh, Manchester United are plotting a move for Jeremy Frimpong. A very, very talented right back, but the Lowe's had a really good season. And to his credit, Juan Bissaka has improved in the last few months. Chelsea will allow Andre Santos to join Vasco da Gama on loan after a proposed loan to Palmeiras collapsed. I wonder why it collapsed. I haven't seen anything about that. That's a shame for Palmeiras. They needed a midfield addition, and he would have been a nice one. Everton, Leicester, Liverpool, Newcastle, Tottenham, West Ham and Wolves are all monitoring Union Berlin's German midfielder, Rani Kadira. Uh, I would have severe doubts that Liverpool have any interest in a 29-year-old. Um, as uh, He's a decent player. Like He is a decent player. Not a great player by any stretch, but a decent player. But I just I, I have severe doubts that there's truth in that. Newcastle are considering a move for Bristol City's English midfielder Alex Scott. He's very good. Very, very good. Barcelona and Real Madrid have renewed their interest in Bayer Leverkusen and Germany attacking midfielder Florian Wirtz. He's come back from a torn ACL and looks like he hasn't missed a game. He's just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Sunderland goalkeeper Anthony Patterson is in line for a call-up to Gareth Southgate's squad for next month's Euro 2024 qualifiers. That would be strange. Hope is in good form. Ramsdale is in good form. And Pickford's 
playing quite well despite what's in front of him. It would be quite strange if a championship goalkeeper was called up. Um, Chelsea, Barcelona and Real Madrid are keeping tabs on Marcelo Brozovic. He doesn't really make sense for any of them. Um, Burnley want to keep 20-year-old Dutch right-back Ian Matson, who is currently on loan at, from Chelsea at Turf Moor next season. Of course, Ian Matson is a left-back, not a right-back. Uh, moving on then to the last day's worth. Uh, Egyptian winger Mohamed Salah will be willing to leave Liverpool in the summer if they fail to qualify for the Champions League. Uh, his agent has come out and said that's nonsense. Paris Saint-Germain will face competition from Liverpool for the signature of Raphael Liao. With the Merseyside club ready to include Luis Diaz, I don't, I just don't believe that to be true. I think that's garbage. Inter Milan and Argentina striker Latour Martinez has been tailed by Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United. He's not what either Chelsea or United need. He would fit fairly well at Arsenal. Uh, United are eyeing up a move for Gabri Vega. Uh, Barcelona are expected to go all out this summer in their pursuit of Ilkay Gundogan on a free. Uh, yeah, that's it. Hike the wage bill up. Good lads. Well done. Arsenal, Newcastle and West Ham have all made offers of near €40 million Euro for Sergei Milinkovic-Savage. Maybe they're trying to buy one of his feet. Newcastle are plotting a summer move for Kieran Tierney. I do think it makes sense. His injuries concern me, though. Brentford and Spain goalkeeper David Reyes says he wants to fight to win a title amid interest from a number of Premier League clubs. I just don't think he's that calibre of goalkeeper. He's good, though. He is good. Maybe he's got more in him. Maybe he's got more levels to go up. Paris Saint-Germain are set to are prepared to let some of their star names depart this summer as they want to trim the wage bill by 30%. Letting Neymar go would probably do that. Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad El Tani and Jim Radcliffe's Ineos group would need to raise their initial offers to convince the Glazer family to sell Manchester United. This is what I said all along. This is what I said all along. If you look at the stock price on Manchester United, a minority sale is looking more and more likely. Prospective new Manchester United owner Ratcliffe missed the chance to meet Avram Grant after opting to watch his side niece face Monaco instead of attending the Carabao Cup final. That's just garbage. Why would you even write that? Why would he even be there? Nonsense. West Ham defender... Angelo Ogbonna has confirmed he wants to stay at the club beyond the end of his contract this summer. Would make sense to sign him up to another year. Uh, he's very, very good for for depth. Shouldn't be starting, but very good for depth. Inter Miami, the Major League Soccer Club, owned by David Beckham and managed by Phil Neville, want to sign Angel Di Maria as a free agent this summer. I think he's got a year left on his contract at Juve. Nottingham Forest are monitoring Norwich and Republic of Ireland defender Andrew Omabamadeli. He's very good. He is very good. I, I do think he's a Premier League calibre defender. Um, I'd quite like to see him go to Wolves and play alongside Collins. But Collins isn't getting a game at the moment. Maybe Collins needs to leave too. Um, Everton and Bournemouth are keeping tabs on Coventry and Sweden striker Victor Gjorkerez. He is excellent. He is excellent. And he is somebody that any club who's not 
challenging for top four, should be looking at if they're in need of a number nine. I think he's got a really strong all-round game. Last season, 18 goals and 47. This season, 16 and 34 already. I think Brighton made a significant mistake letting go of him. And that will do me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. And I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Network.